from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 118. Today's show is brought to you by Smile, Mac Weldon, and Hover. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. Do you remember that time when your ISP caught on fire? I do, actually. Yeah. I do remember. So that fire never truly went out, and it's uh, it's just spread east, I think. What's uh, what's what's the song? There's a there's there's a light that never goes out. Yeah, there's that... a fire that never goes out at an ISP. <laughs> <laughs> that is... <laughs> and uh, that that fire has spread over somewhere uh, in southern America, and it has affected Comcast. I think that is why Stephen is not here today. I wish I had a good you know a good thing to say for when Stephen misses the show, like how you two do with me. Where you t- mm. proclaim me? As so you think very you dead. think that that's a good thing? So you you think when we say that? No, it's not a good thing. So I wish I had something <laughs> in return, but I don't. Like like a comeback. You you don't you don't have a comeback for that. Mike. Last week I was sitting listening to the show live as you two were recording, whilst I was sitting in my new flat while a boiler was being replaced. How did that feel? It was horrible because as I was listening to the show. <laughs> It was at that moment that the plumber came in to tell me that it wasn't just a pipe that needed replacing, but it was the entire water heater. You you did feel like you were dying. It felt like that for a little bit. <laughs> My bank account is thoroughly dead right now. It was a metaphor for your wallet, Mike. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very good metaphor. <laughs> Talking about metaphors for wallets and no money, etc., etc., Stephen bought the uh, Apple coffee table book and he mm, produced yeah. a lovely little video, something that only he could do, which was to show off the book alongside the actual hardware that he owns. And when you see it in this context, I mean, he obviously didn't show every page, but you just see mm-hmm. the, the incredible amount of stuff that he has accumulated over the last couple of yeah. years. It really is quite frightening. Yeah. So, you know the movie uh, Jumanji? Yeah. yeah. So, it's it's like Jumanji for Apple nerds. You yeah, just the, open the, the book and, and old products come out. <laughs> yeah, that's that, what happened. That's what that book is in his house. Every time he opens it, there's a stampede of IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has 13, so it's quite literal at that's this a, point. It's a really l- unlucky number. Oh, man. It's it's a nice video. I, I like the, uh, the the Apple socks part when he opens it and all the socks are all stuck in the book. Apple should have actually done that, I think. They should have just put a selection of uh, Apple socks, the iPod socks in the, in the book for you to just peel off and use to your heart's content. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> that's a good idea. Just buy a book with the socks inside? Is the book a good idea? I don't know. Are you going to buy it? Are you interested in buying it? No, I don't have enough space. I'm already full of stuff, right? Yeah. All of these home accessories and iPads and consoles. I mean, only to convince my girlfriend that the PSVR was a good idea. I needed to do some serious cable management to hide that mess. Uh, you know, from her field of vision. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not gotten that. I feel like if I buy this book, um, because when I got the iconic book a few years ago. It took a lot of convincing to say, look, this is a good idea because it's a great product. And I feel like the Apple book is even bigger, especially if you get the big version. Um, and I live in a small apartment. And I don't have that kind of space. Steven has a museum, so it makes sense for Steven. That's true. I ju- you know, I, ju- I cannot afford that. It is, it is uh, little known, but Steven actually lives in a mansion house. Um, and he has a whole wing of his home 
uh, vast, vast wing of his home uh, dedicated to displaying his Apple products. It really is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his family members pay a ticket to yeah. to, to go inside. So you know, it's it's, it's serious. It's legit. So, it's legit. Yeah. It's a whole enterprise. It's like a whole big thing. That's what he does. <laughs> That's what he does. He doesn't actually do anything for Real FM. He just manages his museum. <laughs> it's all a front, you know. Yeah, it's his brother does the podcast. Actually, it's yeah. not Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's seen Stephen in ten years. He's been curating the museum. The whole thing is a lie. Uh, I have to say, as, as time has gone on, uh, I've decided that I do want to own this book, um, but I don't think I'm going to buy it. I, I think I might put it on the list. <laughs> you gotta for, steal it. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna run into a store and just pick up the one. You know, they don't cable yeah, anything luck. down anymore. You know, because in the new stores they have that thing, right, where you can just pick up and walk away with stuff. But when sure. you leave the store, the phone locks down. So, like, what happens to the yeah. book? Does like all the ink run out of it? Like, There's what happens? There's just gonna be you... a, some guy with a gun chasing you. Oh man, <laughs> that's only <laughs> okay. a book. I, I've got to put it on my uh, Christmas list and my birthday list. And uh, some somebody might get it for me. But uh, it's something that I want to own. I, I have. Uh, grand dreams here of putting it on my coffee table in my new apartment you know it's mm-hmm. like this, look this is you know how artistic i am i have a just a pure white book look at this beautiful product this is how i make money i talk about the things in this book exactly i just open it up to a page and and as people come in and out of the home i can yeah. explain to them the the intricacies of the uh, antenna bands on mm-hmm. this iphone compared to the other one yeah yeah i make a living talking about the ipod socks that's what i do we talk about them an awful lot, though. So, yeah. <laughs> kind of, yes, we have. It's kind of accurate. <laughs> Talking about soft products created by technology companies. Did you just say soft? Yeah. Okay. The Google Daydream arrived. Oh, yeah, it is soft. It is very it's like, soft. Kind of like a pajamas for your face. It is like pajamas for the face. That's exactly because also when you put it on, you go into a wonderful dreamland. Oh, man. Mike. Yeah, what's I know up? You're, you're making a really bad pun about the name of this product no no i was going for the idea of the pajamas thing okay right so when you when you put oh man daydream on, daydream and pajamas actually makes daydream sense. pajamas you know it all you do have a point i'm sorry it's, it's okay it all goes together eventually so uh my daydream arrived unexpectedly uh, a few days ago i i knew it was like on the way but i didn't have any tracking information uh but it's here now and the hardware is really, really nice. Um, I actually can can appreciate the route that Google took to make this a soft-feeling product. And, and that makes it very comfortable, actually. Um, it fits very nicely with my glasses on. You're able to pull the front part out so it can be cleaned. Uh, it's all very nice. It looks good. It's well-made. Um, I think this is definitely continuing along the trend that Google started with the Pixel of making good hardware, right? Like, this is this is good hardware the little remote that it comes with is awesome you know it's like a little wiimote and you just like yeah. move it around but it but it adds it adds something more to to phone vr um a lot of phone vr stuff you kind of just moving around and tapping the headset it, it, you know the, right. the one time that i played the gear vr that was what i was doing like you just moved your head around and tapped the headset which didn't really work so much for me um and all of the good vr platforms the serious vr platforms they have their own controllers and their own systems like that so creating this little controller is really nice and the way that you store it you store it inside the headset which is really cool too so like they're always together it's got a little piece of elastic that holds it in and then you just close the headset and it's all together in one little piece the thing that i find the most interesting and compelling about this whole thing is that now i have a package 
of VR that could be used anywhere. Now, that's what's really interesting to me. So, you know, let, let's just say that I was a person who used uh, my Pixel all day, every day, right? Like that I was a full-time user of that. It was my full-time phone. I could just throw this thing in a bag when I'm traveling or whatever. And, and if I'm on a long journey, I could just pull it out, strap it on my face and play some games or watch some YouTube videos or, or whatever, right? Like th- that's kind of the idea of this. Let's set aside for a moment the awkwardness of that because I want to talk about that in a moment. But like that's that's what's good about this is I have this little package. It's not very big. It isn't very big. I mean, you know, it's big enough, but it's not huge. It, it's it's just it's just about the right kind of size. Throwing this mm-hmm. kind of thing in your bag when you're going on a long trip, and you'd be fine with it. Now, one thing that I was interested about is wondering if the quality of the screen would be good enough, and it is vastly good enough. Like the resolution of it looks much better than the PSVR does. Um, hmm. Because these really? these screens are, in, are, are incredible, aren't they? You know, you look at what's in these phones these days. Like, I can't see the pixels at all right. in this thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you can in the PSVR. There are some games where, like, you can see the resolution isn't that great, right? But on this thing, that's not the case. And the reason is, is because the phone is like 600, 700, 800 pounds, right? Like, it is incredibly yeah. advanced hardware. And you're paying for a lot more with the PSVR, right? Like, it's not just the screen. It's the whole thing. And understandably, that's more expensive right now. But, you know, if you think about the Oculus, the previous Oculus um, devices, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head what it is now, but they were using the same screens that Samsung phones were using, right? I so think it, so. They yeah. were. Like, I don't know if they still are, but they were in all of the DK2s and all of the development kits and stuff like that. They were using phone screens. And it's because they are incredibly high uh, pixel density right in front of your face. Like, it works perfectly for that. However... The phone gets incredibly hot after use. Like, mm. I Do played you feel for it? oh yeah, I played for like twenty five minutes and couldn't hold the phone comfortably. Oh wow! Yeah, it gets insane because it is processing an incredible amount, right? To do this um, now, you know, I'm going to assume that it's okay that Google has thoroughly tested all of this, but the phone gets really, really hot. Um, after the after playing for for an extent, not even a massively extended period of time, but like you know, like a, a good comfortable amount of time. What kind of games have you played? There aren't a lot right now. Um, mm. That there's there is a there is a handful of games, and then there's some experiences. I haven't done any of the experiences stuff. I played some of the games. Uh, some are good, some are not. I, I found a couple that I did like. There's one called Arc Slinger, um, which is a a first-person shooter game, but it's like it's like a, you are fixed in position, and it's like a shooting gallery type thing. It's like a Wild West game, and you have to shoot people. Um, and it has a, something that I really like. Uh, there are like power-ups that you can do, but to do the power-ups, you have to do like fighting game style combinations on the touchpad. So you know, maybe to get the fireball, you have to do up, down, left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down. And it's really cool because like you're doing these like little combos to get the special power-up bullets because it's got the touchpad on the on the controller as well as the movement mm-hmm. stuff. And what I really like about it, like just from a game design perspective, the uh, the codes, uh, as you would call them, for these combos, they're written on the floor beneath you. So you look down and you follow them, you look up and you can start shooting people. So that's, it's a really fun game. It's got good sound design. Um, I actually really like it. Uh, there's another game called Danger Goat as well that I liked. <laughs> 
which Danger is goat? yeah, it's like an isometric point and click type thing. So yeah, you're you're trying to get the, a goat through this level. It's like multiple levels that are set diorama style, like Monument Valley. You know, like just these floating levels in the sky, and you have to get. It's like a puzzle game. You know, that you have to get the goat from point A to point B. Uh, it's nicely designed. It's a good cartoon like animation. Uh, and there are like certain challenges and puzzles that you have to do to get them through the game. Um, I've noticed this from PSVR from a couple of games that I've played that kind of like the isometric point and click type stuff works really well because you can literally just point in the world. You can look around the world. Um, Zach in the chat room asked about the, the phone heating stuff if it takes a while for the phone to cool down uh, because his is pretty quick. It doesn't take a long time for it to cool down, but it, it gets worryingly hot the first time. You know, like I um went to take off the headset and touched the edge of the phone and was like, wow, what? like, you know, I was I was surprised by it, you know, because the phone kind of clips into the headset. So I, I think all in all, though, I am very impressed with this. I mean, it kind of just leads into to my overall feelings about the Pixel is that this is just top quality stuff, right? Yeah. For a phone-based VR system, this is very compelling. Um, like, I could imagine taking this thing, like I said, like on a plane with me, I could think it'd be great for that kind of use, but I feel I would feel silly doing it right now. Yeah, I was about to ask you, would you do it? I don't think I could, not right now. Yeah. And and I think I think there will come a time in the not too distant future where we will do this type of stuff. You know, like I I foresee a, 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 an airline like Virgin or someone like that um, putting their in-flight entertainment into VR headsets. There know? has to there has to be some social changes. There has to be an inflection you know? point, which we're not at. Uh, but w- once we get there, this is the type of hardware that you will want to use. Something that you can put your phone into and you can play games and you can watch YouTube 360 videos and stuff like that. But this hardware is, is good enough and the phone works well enough that I continue to question Apple's uh, lack of any kind of visible strategy on VR. That It concerns me, Federico. Might as well be happening internally, we don't know, but uh, I also, I was talking about this with Sylvia because a, f- a friend of ours asked us, uh, is there any sort of VR accessory that I can buy for the iPhone as a gift for Christmas? And we, I had to explain, you know, what are the current VR options and how on the iPhone there's basically nothing. Um, whereas if you get a Samsung, there's a Samsung, uh, the Gear VR. If you get a Pixel, there's the, the Daydream VR. Yeah, um, Motorola, I think, just announced that, that their phones have been updated now to be Daydream ready. Like that, that's starting exactly. to roll out more now. Yeah, and uh, it also concerns me, uh, but it depends on whether, you know, VR is going to be, you know, socially acceptable, if it's going to take off for games outside of, you know, people like you and me. Uh, if it's going to be, you know, something that everyone wants to have. And if the time, when the time comes, will it be too late for Apple to join the race? Traditionally, uh, you know, Apple has taken a wait-and-see approach. And it, maybe it'll work this time as well, uh, because they've done it with the iPhone, with the iPad, with the Apple Watch to an extent. And maybe this time as well, if VR takes off, maybe they're working on it. And when it's ready, when it's socially acceptable, when everyone... It's kind of in the market for VR, they'll have a product. But based on what we know, based on the rumors, it sounds like Apple wants to go a different direction, wants to try with AR, with glasses, you know, with a different type of experience. So I don't know. Right now, VR is, is expensive. Just by telling my friend, she she asked me uh, how much, you know, what's what's the budget here? What, what, what kind of money do I need? And the prices of, you know, PSVR, 
or uh, even the HTC Vive were crazy expensive for you yep. know any kind of normal person who's not a you know hardcore video gamer. Um, so right now we're still in the early stages. Uh, even the games are not full games, right? You cannot play f- the real Final Fantasy XV, for example, or real Super Mario on a on a VR device. It's a different type of game. It's not consumer. I would say it's not consumer ready because of the prices, because of the setup. But I think it will be. Yeah. And I think it will be socially acceptable. And when the time comes, will Apple be ready? Or, you know, we're in a state of flux when it comes to VR. This is the start of the consumerization of it, though, right? Because it, everybody it has a smartphone. And if your smartphone can support VR, which will happen more and more as time goes on, right? Maybe over the next 12 to 18 months as more Android phones are released with this built into them. This this headset costs £69, you know, and it's probably, I think it's around that dollar-wise, maybe somewhere in the 60 to $90 range. That is more than affordable for this type of experience. Um, and so I, I think that this is, this is what I'm saying, that this is, this is clearly a route to this. This is a route, this is a path for consumer VR. And Google have found it and they're working on that. And they will be able to make more and more compelling products because they're beginning now in VR's infancy. And it's, it's interesting to, you know, as I've said before, whether VR is going to be a thing or not, that's kind of irrelevant to the point of the major technology companies, with the exception of Apple, all believe that it will be. So it's going to be pushed on us whether we like it or not. doesn't mean it will take off, but this is the next iteration, the next generation of computing and experiences and gaming. This is what Facebook and Google and Microsoft are betting on that this is going to be a thing. So they're going to keep making these products. So that might put force it to become a thing. But as of I'm, right now, Apple is absent from that. I'm trying to think of examples uh, in the past of technologies that seem to be a big deal because everyone was doing them and Apple was not. And eventually the, you know, kind of cooled off, you know, the the hype and the anticipation and maybe it was a sound decision from Apple not to invest time and marketing and everything into making those products. I'm trying to think of examples. Netbooks? Maybe. That could be. Maybe. Netbooks could be because it's for a while, for a couple of years at least, it seemed like everyone was doing netbooks and then Apple came out with the iPad. So maybe could be that right now everyone is doing VR and Apple will come out with something different, related mm-hmm. but different. I don't know. Um, I do get your argument, and if it really takes off in this current shape and form, uh, it's, I mean, it's going to be more powerful, it's going to be faster, it's going to be cheaper, but will it be the visor that you put on your head and, you know, shut you off completely from what's around you, or will it be some other thing, like the HoloLens, or like, you know, a mixed uh, VR, AR together? I don't know. Um, it is interesting to, also because we're, you know we're lucky we can afford it to try it right now mm-hmm. i think it you know i'm i'm interested in the in the smartphone vr i don't want to buy a phone you know like an android phone just for vr that's why i'm happy that i got the playstation vr uh because i'm having fun with it and it's also fun to show it off to friends uh who you know are not in the market for a playstation 4 and the vr accessory which all together it's like almost a thousand euros which is crazy expensive but i'm glad i did because it's kind of showing me what could be in the future one of the new standards when it comes to interaction and video games? I'm still skeptical if 
if this is going to take off in terms of non-game applications. I can imagine the potential. I can imagine, you know, things like Skype or conference calls or... I think it's going to be an entertainment-focused platform for a long time. Or an education platform, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Content. Consumption. Right. Yeah, everyone is talking about the the new uh, Google Earth um, VR app on the HTC Vive. I think it came out last week. Maybe mm-hmm. it's also on the Oculus. I'm not sure. Uh, and it's impressive. I watched the videos. You can fly around. You can look at stuff as if you're actually visiting Paris, for example. That's impressive. But what's the, you know, am I picturing myself at home and be like, okay, instead of relaxing on the couch with Facebook and Twitter, I'm just going to put on the headset and go to Paris. Maybe, maybe that could be the future or maybe just a fun demo that you try it once for like 15 minutes and that's about it. Does it warrant having a presence in this market? Because I, I truly don't believe that Apple cares about making their own games. They do care about the developer community making games but i mean we've seen with the third-party controllers even if you go simple something as simple as a controller apple doesn't really care about those the standard basically hasn't been updated the mi5 controller for ios hasn't been updated for like two years um so when it comes to apple and video games i don't have a lot of hope when it comes to apple and other types of applications well maybe i could see you know fly over an apple maps in vr that could be cool but doesn't warrant having a it, right? Exactly. <sighs> what else could you do? Um, Maybe you could visually conceive the layers of iOS, you know? You know <laughs> like Johnny, I've set out the layers of iOS 7. You could just like get all up in the layers, uh-huh. go see where Control Center's hanging out, that kind of thing. Yeah, you could be uh, hanging out in the Johnny I VR experience. It's just a white room. White room. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you look around, you think it's loading, you know? It's actually, no. that is the VR experience. It's, it's all white. I've Simulator. This episode is brought to you by Hover. From artificial intelligence, doomsday theories, to puppies wearing fedoras, over 2 million blog posts covering every topic imaginable are published on the web every single day. That's why it's so important to have a great domain name that stands above all the noise and gives you the platform for which to spread your ideas. As of November the 21st, the much-anticipated .blog domain extension is now available for registration at Hover. So if you're listening to this, This has just become available. This means you have a better chance right now than you've ever had of finding your first choice of a unique, relevant, and memorable name for your blog. Plus, all .blog domains come with the great things that you'd expect at Hover, like free who is privacy, no heavy-handed upselling, and their trademark, no wait, no hold, no transfer phone support. To register your own .blog domain today, head on over to Hover.com and use the promo code QUALITY to save 10% off your first order. Hover, domain names for your ideas. Thank you so much, Hover, for their support of this show and Relay FM. You get you get teachy dot blog. <laughs> I should. I, yeah, I you should. should get them. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, the Snapchatification of Instagram continues. Oh yeah. So Instagram just launched um, the ability to send self-destructing um, DMs. It's kind of like an extension of Instagram stories. You can now send a, you know, like an image or a video uh, as a DM to someone and it will self-destruct after after it's been viewed. Uh, and also you get a notification if the person on the other end uh, takes a screenshot. So it's basically Snapchat. Um, and they're also launching a live video, which, which is not Snapchat, but also kind of like a, I don't know, kind of rolling Facebook Live and Periscope into Instagram, I guess, uh, which makes sense. I just wonder, 
how much Snapchat and others are dictating the evolution of Instagram at this point. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it, right? Like, if Instagram is the daddy, right? I guess we assume, I think it's probably still safe to assume that they're top of the tree when it comes to photo sharing. But Snapchat is probably close. You know, like I imagine that they jockey it out. What Instagram is doing right now is looking at who else is around and they are being bold and brazen in the fact that they are not trying to disguise what they're doing. Like, I, mm -hmm. I think usually with, with Silicon Valley companies, they all kind of uh, copy each other and iterate and that kind of yeah, thing. You there's know, this new trend that I've seen of being very clear about what some companies copying. So like Instagram, when it when they launched stories, they were super honest about the fact that Snapchat got there first. And I saw last week um, the, the project man management service, uh, Azana, they... Um, uh, they launched like Trello-like things and said, Trello and, did a great job and yeah, now we're doing it. <laughs> I mean, okay. You know, it's, I'm not sure. I mean, props for, you know, the attribution, I guess. But I don't know how I feel about a company coming out and saying, uh, look, we know that these other people did it first and we're really thankful. And by the way, we're copying it. Um, I mean, okay. It's just, I don't know if being honest about it, I guess it's better than not admitting, you know, when someone else did it before. Anyway, what I've seen is, especially in the past year, we've talked about this before, but the, just the, 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 the acceptance and the, popularity of snapchat in italy with my friends it's truly taken off now everyone has it at least everyone in my circle of friends um and they're not necessarily you know i don't hang out with like teenagers anymore like 20 somethings uh everyone has snapchat and when we're hanging out together we're i don't know at a party or you know out for drinks i see people using snapchat i see people taking pictures and saying oh follow me on snapchat you'll you, you'll get these photos um and I and and I don't see I I don't see Instagram as much. I see my friends checking Instagram. I don't see I don't see them taking a lot of pictures as it used to be until mm. a few years ago. I think that there is a definite trend towards the ephemeral, right? That that's why Instagram went for stories. I think people right now are, uh, enjoy sharing their lives with their friends in this way that isn't so takes all this work because as we said before you know when, when, when instagram launched stories it's not about crafting the most perfect f picture right it's about just like sharing whatever's happening in your life and that's what instagram is moving towards because they can see that snapchat is is owning that you know like um instagram are maybe going a step further their live video function the video that you record cannot be saved or viewed later you either catch it when it's live or you don't see it at all so they're going like an extra step right like periscope and facebook live you can save the recordings or they're saved automatically for a certain period of time but instagram is is trying to like bundle this in with the idea of like these two separate services that they run right they run the it's there forever make your life look amazing get beautiful filters the photo stream stuff, right? Like the the actual, what we know Instagram to be. And now this whole other section of features like stories and live and the DM system now, which is kind of just like, just share random stuff. Um, and I think that it is a good move for them from a business perspective because it's it's kind of keeping them relevant. But I get, you can't overlook the fact that they're kind of just like, they're just aping features from other companies now in, in a... 
as I said, like in a very bold way. They're just like they just call it out, and I don't know how I feel about that. Like I can kind of respect the fact that they're being scrappy, right? And they're just like even though they're owned by Facebook, so they can kind of just whatever. They they're deciding that they're going to keep trying to push, keep trying to grow, keep trying to grow. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that, but it's like this this idea of just like are you are you innovating anymore? Because yeah. the reason that you're here in the first place is because you were a company that did something that nobody had done before and in, in the way that you did it. Like you created this whole platform, this whole idea of like filters, you know, like again, they really popularized it. There are there are apps like Hipstamatic which did it, but like Instagram kind of really made it a thing, right? That you had this social network and all you did was share photos with people mm-hmm. and you'd like the photos. And, and now there are many companies that try and do that in the way that they do it but but now it just feels like they're not they're not really contributing as much as they yeah. used to when you look at like i am becoming increasingly obsessed with snaps rollout of spectacles yes i am just devouring news stories about it i think it is one of the most incredible product launches of the last 10 years the way that they are just, you know, you, go, you guys spoke about it, like these vendor machines popping up um, and they're creating these pop-up shops and like no tech press are getting review units. They have to fight to get them, even though the reviews are universally good, right? They're not hiding it. They've made a good product. Like everything about the experience is fascinating and I desperately want a pair to try because I actually think that, that it really is a, a very interesting product that looks good and seems to work well. And and I just keep looking at that, and I'm like, that is an innovative company right there. They are doing new things. But Instagram are not. They are, like, bumbling along and trying to catch up on features. And it's just interesting to watch that happen. Yeah, I feel like we're moving on from, you know, we used to say congrats for shipping. Now it's becoming uh, congrats for copying and it's becoming acceptable without being sarcastic about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I also believe that Snapchat is truly doing some innovative stuff. Um, I I I have to say I kind of want to get this the spectacles, even yeah. though probably not gonna get those in Italy anytime soon. No. Um, that's a. I mean, it's a simple idea, right? It's camera, and sunglasses, but it's a whole package. The whole idea of the experience combined with the Snapchat app on your phone because I, I I feel like many many times when I'm when I'm you know when I'm out when I'm when I'm around and I want to share something I just don't have the the timing or the patience to capture something and to say to kind of to announce myself to say I'm about to take a Snapchat you know I just forget about it I'm just not in that mindset and I feel like having the spectacles especially in the summertime you know with, with a good season when you're Walking out more often, going to the beach and stuff. Uh, I feel like that's that's a great idea, you know. Yeah, like I think me and you are embedded in a certain way of social networking, which doesn't yes. fit to Snapchat. Like because I think to myself, I'm going to post it, but I can't tell anyone that I've done it. <laughs> right, like when I post something on Instagram, I can just cross post it to Twitter. But like, so that again, it's like that's just the locked in thing of me of like assuming that everybody is is looking at my Twitter feed. And that I push things there. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I did a thing recently where I was taking Snapchat things. I can't even remember what it was about. And I tweeted about it to tell people to go there because it's like that, in my mind, that's the only way anybody ever finds out about anything. 
Yeah, I, I, I keep Snapchat on my home screen and I keep opening it and just poking around, but I never feel like I know what to share. And I agree with you. There's like what, this thing in my brain that's like, maybe if I had spectacles, <laughs> I would try and like force myself into this idea of just like, all I have to do is press the button and it will record what I'm doing. Um, yeah. I also think it would be really cool for vlogging. That's yeah, I think reason it, I, want I, I think it could be. Um, are you following DJ Khaled now on Snapchat? I had to stop, man. No, why? I couldn't do too it. Ma- it was too many too much stuff. Too much stuff. I didn't understand any of it. I felt like uh, an old man. Yeah, have you learned the key to success? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh man, you, you gotta follow. I can't. Again. Like I followed him for like a day, yeah. and it was like here's no, a bunch you... of things that I don't know what he's talking about, and it's like a million yeah, of them. Yeah, he's talking about you know the major key alert and the key to success and a bunch of yep. life lessons, really stuff important I, stuff. Stuff I don't understand. Yeah, top-notch work from Khaled. Talking about top-notch work, Apple have released their holiday ad. Um, as mm-hmm. with many companies now, Apple has a holiday-themed ad. They had was it last year that they did the one with the kid making? No, it was three years ago. Mike. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh, he won wow. an Emmy award. Yeah. That was a great one. Do you know what yeah, last I mean, year's oh, was? Last year's one, Stevie Wonder. Uh, I think Stevie Wonder was uh, with uh, Andra Day. The song was last year. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember 2014 uh, because yeah. Misunderstood was 2013 with the kid and you know the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was Stevie Wonder and Andra Day, and I cannot remember the year before. So, Apple are taking the line that a lot of a lot of companies are. Um, I'm seeing this in the UK. I don't know if you're seeing this in Italy. Uh, from from people I've spoken to online, it doesn't really seem to be the trend in the US yet either. But to to make holiday season ads that do not push a product, but have a story, uh, like a, a some kind of story to them, which makes you feel positive things for the brand. Do you have other examples? John Lewis is my biggest example. Uh, in in the UK, uh, John Lewis really kind of pioneer this. They are the ad that everybody waits to come, uh, and then when it does, it's like, oh great, the John Lu- the uh, the, uh, the 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 John Lewis Christmas ad is out now, right? Like it is a big thing. They have a thing this year called Buster the Boxer. It's like this whole this whole thing, right? Like they they create these ads which focus on some fictional thing that they've created and they are multi-million dollar things and it ties in with the store and they sell merchandise like here it is a big thing john lewis is a huge department store think of like a bloomingdale's or a macy's or something but it's a it's a nationwide chain and this is their ad like so for example the john lewis christmas ad right now has uh, 18 and a half million views on youtube uh, and it was launched two weeks ago like oh, it, wow. it, it is nice. a big thing here, and now there are a lot of companies, especially supermarkets and department stores, that are creating these types of ads. So they don't show products. They are just intended to give you warm, fuzzy feelings, which you, in part, put onto the brand. It's a very simple message. You know, like um, Casey pointed out to me, like Coca-Cola are a good example of this, even though they yeah. show people drinking Coke in the ad 
right? But like the red truck thing and the yeah, you know. man, the the coke ads always made me feel good as a yeah. kid. You they're, know? They're, they're, they're like the, classic. This is like classic brand advertising, but with a new twist. And the, the twist seems to be these days creating these stories and worlds. And Apple this year have really dived into this form of advertising because the previous ones. So like last year's was just people singing a song and it was a beautiful song. But like, you know, the misunderstood one, the one that everyone keeps talking about, the guy was using Apple products to create a thing. But the the tie-in of Apple in this new ad is so slight. Like it may as well not even be there. So the ad is uh Frankenstein's monster, played by Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond, the guy with the really deep voice. Uh he is singing a song which he's recording in voice memos. That's one of the only two times you see an iPhone. He receives a package. The the true winner of this ad is Voice Memos. Voice Memos, the app that nobody knew existed. So it goes in everybody's Apple folder. (laughs) Who uses Voice Memos? (laughs) Uh, He receives a little package, which are two little light bulbs. Uh, He goes down to the town. Um, Everybody is is horrified to see Frankenstein's monster in the town. Uh, And he puts the little lights in where his bolts go, and they light up, and he starts singing a song, and everybody rejects him, but a child and the wonder of the child sings with the monster, and then everybody loves them, right? There is an idea of, like, I don't know. Oh, he also he's he's playing the little song. He's playing the tune from his voice memos and singing along with it. Yeah. And it is intended, I assume, to be um, an ad which is to invoke the holiday spirit. Right, like that, that is the idea that they want people to be together over the holidays um, and they have created a very expensive ad with a star and uh, clearly some very expensive makeup and sound effect uh, visual effects to pull this whole thing together because they've had to create this guy that's taller than life right why do they do this do you think Federico like what is what is that what are Apple trying to get out of this I think it's not necessarily about the iPhone it's more a I see it as more of a statement about Apple as a company. Uh, yeah. You know the the message of the message of uh, love each other. You know, mm-hmm. we're even though we're different, um, we're all in this together. That's the idea that I get. And you know, it's a very good timing for this ad, especially because of the political scene at the moment. And and I feel like they're using the iPhone and voice memos just briefly to kind of identify the company. But then the message is um, at Apple Week. You know. They they say this over and over. We care about diversity. We care about you know all kinds of people, and we want to make products for all kinds of people also. And I feel like you know the the, the ad itself is kind of weird initially because it, you know you're seeing this monster, uh, and it stays weird until the moment you know that it screws the the light bulbs into his neck. Uh, but then when you when you see the child, when you see the reaction, when you, when you see the second half, uh, I mean I gotta say it brought a smile to my face. This this commercial. Um, which I totally get it. Like I'm smiling for a commercial. There's a multi-billion-dollar corporation making money off of this. Uh, but it's still it's the idea, the genuine idea of you know where it's the holiday season for those who celebrate it, of course. And uh, it's a good moment to you know to reflect upon the idea that we're different, but we got our lover, respect each other, and accept each other. And I think it's very smart, you know. And you were constantly bombarded with all of these commercials about phones and computers and it's you know f- with the holiday season with the end of the year approaching i think it's a good message i know it's about a corporation it's about a business that makes money makes billions of dollars and not all parts of that business are as kind and warm and you know loving as this commercial but 
uh, it's a good ad and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good watching it. I, I, I like the story. I like the the romantic idea that the ad tells. I agree with you. Like, I th- I think that the ad is weird, but it's not weird in a way that I think is unpleasant. It's weird just because why did they choose Frankenstein? Like, monster. Just, Otherwise, Frank- people are just gonna correct you. You know, you, you noticed I was saying it every time, right? <sighs> Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. yeah, people love to correct you on that. Um, <laughs> it, I think that even it's it's just a strange route to take, right? Like, I I I can't imagine the meeting in which that came up. It's it's very abstract, uh, but that will make it memorable. Um, I I find it just a weird way to tell the story, but the ad made me feel good, which is exactly what it's supposed to. So I think that uh, I think that they've probably succeeded. I think so. I mean, in, in an alternate universe, there maybe there's an ad with Tim Cook sitting behind a desk and you know making a big political statement. Yep. Uh, but in this universe, uh, they're taking the more uh, subtle, uh, warm, fuzzy-feeling approach of or showing you a monster who gets accepted by a child and all kinds of people afterwards. Um, I think it's a good message. I think it's nice. It puts Apple in your mind, but only in the way of, here's the latest iPhone. It takes a bunch of pictures at super crazy resolution. Uh, it, it's more of a feeling. Um, it's classy. That's what I'm gonna say. It's, it's we- even in its weirdness and strangeness, it, it is a classy, elegant ad. I agree. Talking about classy and elegant, let me talk to you about Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is the company that makes amazing, comfortable, really good-looking underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will be able to wear every day and feel good in them, feel confident in them. Smell good because they have this silver stuff that is anti naturally antimicrobial. They have this whole line of silver underwear that eliminates odor. It's cool science stuff that they have. They have undershirts and stuff for that as well. Mac Weldon really is a company that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping, and that comes across across their entire experience. It is so easy to go to their website and buy stuff, right? Like you're not jumping through hoops. And uh, what I like is that the more you buy, the more you save. They have like the savings indicator across the top, which I like as well. But then when the products come to you, you're going to feel good in them because they spent a lot of time making them comfortable. Mac Weldon truly believes that you should be comfortable in their products, so that's why if you don't like them, they will refund you, and you just keep the product. Because you know they just they don't they don't want your underwear back basically. But Mac Weldon are all about making sure that you feel good every day, whether you're going to work, going on dates, or just for everyday life. No matter what it is you're doing, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane for eight hours and wearing their amazing sweatpants, which I could talk about all day, they just care about you feeling good and looking good, and that is mirrored across their entire product line. I really thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this stuff. Just go and try it out. Go buy something, see what you think. There's, you know, If you don't like it, you can get a refund because they believe in making sure you're the most comfortable that you can be. Listeners of this show get an amazing 20% off at macweldon.com with the code CONNECTED at checkout. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. 20% off with the code CONNECTED. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. So do you want to talk about the Mac Pro? Yeah, man. Let's talk about the uh, the existence <laughs> of the Mac Pro. So we had a, a hot tip come through to us this week. That the uh, in 2017 the the uh, Mac Pro is going to be taking the shape of an iPad. 
<laughs> and that I, I, wanted to, I wanted to see where you were going with that. Uh, good job. Good I job, wasn't Mike. sure where I was going with it when I began. Uh, well, yeah. What I want to talk about is the only pro that, that truly matters, which is the iPad Pro. Wow. You're, you're know, just right? making it worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I figure, you know, go nuclear. You know, this, this is the hill that I'm willing to die on. Uh, there was an analyst's rumor, as there many of them are. Okay. And you can take these things always with a grain of salt because who actually truly knows if these people have any idea what they're talking about or if they're just making it up. But there was an analyst rumor that said there is likely coming uh, in March a refresh to the current line of 12.9, 9.7. Yeah. Both will get true tone, both will get speed bumps and other hardware you know, the, the regular hardware in, improvements that we would expect. However, after this, the 9.7-inch Pro will become the lower-cost iPad, uh, most likely eliminating the air from the line. And what it will be replaced by is a new 10.9-inch screen iPad Pro. However, this device will have the same physical size as the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, Mm-hmm. It will lose the bezels, make the screen larger. These are rumors in line with what we're expecting to see in the iPhone in 2017. What do you think of this? Uh, I, I think we touch upon this with Stephen. I think it. I can't imagine an iPad that is such a piece of just a piece of glass that you hold in your hands, mm-hmm. and it's truly the the highest point of the original vision of the iPad. It is a piece of glass that you hold in your hands and it's just interface. You're holding the interface. And I can see that happening. However, I have a few questions about the practicality of that idea. And the two most pressing questions, if you like, are what's going to happen with the bezels uh, when you hold the device? How is the interface going to react? And what's going to happen with the home button? Mm-hmm. Uh, how you're going to use Touch ID? How you're going to you know, move in and out of apps? Um, the idea on paper sounds amazing. And even when we saw you know, Xiaomi making that phone a few weeks ago with no you know, edge to, truly edge-to-edge display, that was beautiful. And I, and I could imagine that vision applied to a bigger device, to an iPad. That would be amazing. But I have some practical concerns that I'm sure Apple is thinking about, of course. You know, <laughs> they have truly smart people making these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it could be a preview of the next iPhone, you know, with a home button and touch ID inside the display with the speaker, you know, with a what on the iPhone you would call, uh, you know, maybe you know, speakers blending into the unit. I don't know. Um, maybe there's a curved edge uh, for for this display, kind of like a Samsung Um I feel like it would be beautiful just to look at. I feel it would be comfortable, um, but I don't know practically. Does it mean that Apple has basically finalized the implementation of the home button inside the display? Does it mean the Touch ID can now be available anywhere, not just at the bottom of the or on the side of the iPad? That would be amazing. I I. Uh... I don't think that the, the, the Touch ID will find its way into the screen. I, I'm mm. skeptical of this. And the the, um, the MacBook Pro, I think, shows where my skeptic- skepticism is coming from. I think that the uh, the Touch Bar was intended to include a Touch ID sensor embedded within the screen, but it wasn't able to be done. Uh, now, you know, I appreciate that you refreshing that because I know that you and Stephen talk- spoke about this rumor 
specifically last week, but I wanted to kind of use this as a jumping off point to talk about the current iPad Pro line and uh, where me and you are sitting within that right now. So you've had time to, you know, we've made lots of jokes about this, right? About the, the multi-pad lifestyle and if you know you have multiple iPads now, that kind of thing, like me. But I wondered, like, now that you've probably had more time to spend with them, kind of where you are feeling... Oh, you're the, gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be disappointed. I know. I, I, I feel like I understand it, but I'm just trying to, to work out like where where are you feeling about the iPad? Like, what one are you using the most? Do you right. ever use the the smaller Pro? And, and if okay. so, what for? So after the review of iOS 10 was done, I gave my small iPad Pro to Sylvia. Mm -hmm. uh, she's been using instead of a, her old iPad or two. She's been using the small Pro. So um, I've always used more uh, the, the the big iPad Pro more. And it, it is my main computer. The only reason I'm talking to you on my Mac is because I need to use Skype. Uh, all in with the iPad Pro 12.9. Um, I posted a story about the keyboard that I'm using when I need to type. It's a Razer keyboard. Um, my, I, I love the iPad Pro. Generally, like I never liked and appreciated a computer before. Um, I use it all the time. Uh, it uh, I took this year, and I, this is part of a story that I'm that I'm working on. This is actually quite useful. Um, uh, the, the past year, I've done a lot of uh, optimization uh, for the things that I do. Um, you know, with the Mac stories, with the Club Mac stories, I have a bunch more responsibilities, uh, a lot more collaboration going on, and so I took the past year with the iPad Pro to understand for each task that I do each week, what is the best way that I can do it on the iPad? What is the best way that I can do it better than a Mac? And I've changed a lot of apps. I'm still considering a lot of apps because I always want to... My, my, my priority is to write, talk, and to spend as little time managing stuff as possible. And I, I feel like I've found... A, I found a pretty good workflow, uh, you know, a pretty good setup with my iPad Pro at this point. Doesn't mean that it's perfect. There's some things that I would like to to to, whether it's iOS itself or the iPad Pro hardware. There are some things that need to be better, but I feel like um, I have found the iPad and the device that truly satisfies my needs for computing. It's such an ugly word, but it, I'm happy with my computer and. You know, in, in a way that maybe I wasn't in the past. I was constantly looking for, you know, maybe a different Mac, maybe a different iPhone. I feel like the iPad Pro is just, you know, it, it gets out of the way. It's reliable. It's fast. And I, I truly want to see what Apple wants to do next. Because if you ask me right now, I have a hard time coming up with requests. Because, it you know, it, it works. <laughs> so you're definitely in the camp of the bigger is better, though, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, um, even when you even when you use multitasking and split view, um, there's just no contest between the two. I try to get work done, and and I, and I and I observed you, Mike, the way that you do stuff with the small pro with a small uh, smart keyboard, and I just cannot do it. I it's just too small for me, and I get used to the to the big iPad Pro so much, and the way that you see more content on the screen when you're using the software keyboard, and the comfort of split view on the 12.9 and how mm -hmm, much mm -hmm. I see when I when I read at night or how big a movie is when I use my iPad Pro as a display. That's just beautiful. And and I cannot go back to the to the small form factor. 
Well, what about a 10.9 inch one? That's that's what I'm thinking about, right? Because 12.9 versus 12.9, it's it's not a lot, but I feel like the difference could still be, you know, a considerable difference. Um, maybe they're just. I just need to see it. I I because I I. I'm skeptical about whether I want to go smaller, even just a tiny bit, you know? Hmm. So I tell you why I'm very interested in a 10.9 inch, because I think that the 9.7, the, the, the small pro, the form factor is perfect. And I find that the form factor of the larger iPad pro to not be perfect because it's bigger and heavier and more ungainly and less easy to move around. But the 9.7-inch, it's great, and I can put this big keyboard case on it, and it's still really easy to move around. But if I put the same big keyboard case on the bigger iPad Pro, I'd be carrying around a MacBook Pro, basically. right? Like I use the Logitech Create, which is a vastly superior keyboard in absolutely every single way over what Apple have made. Um, and that, coupled with the 9.7, is incredible. And I imagine a world where, like, let's just say, I mean, I, I don't know this for sure, but let's just say that a 10.9-inch iPad screen allows you to do better split view, right? Like, that the, the split view is more akin to what you see in the 12.9. Like, let's just say that the barrier is there, right? And you get more on the screen, you're able to get, like, the two apps side-by-side side as opposed to, like, one iPhone, one regular iPad app. You know, like that, that to me, I think would really probably create the best of both worlds device that I'm looking for. Because I do continue to use both iPads frequently, every day. I use them for different tasks. Um, when I'm out and about, I always have the 9.7 with me because it's, it's way better for traveling with. Um, and I get the, the benefits of the great keyboard. But like this morning when I was doing the show notes for the show, I wanted the large screen of the 12.9 to get all of my notes side by side of Google Docs and Apple Notes. But if the 10.9 can provide me the best of both worlds, then uh, maybe, I, maybe I would say goodbye to the multi-pad lifestyle. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, what do you want from a future iPad. What is that you're missing? And I'm not talking about iOS. I'm talking about the iPad hardware. I don't think that there's so much missing from the iPad hardware, really. Like, if you bring them level with each other from a specs perspective, I'm good with what we've got, right? Like, the screens are so good, but I would love the, mm -hmm. the larger one to have True Tone. I, I would like to see more advancement in um, input devices, from the keyboard to the pencil to other devices you can connect to the iPad Pro to make it more powerful, like expandability and stuff like that. Like, that's what I'm more interested in. Like, me and you firmly believe in this computer as a replacement for computers as they currently exist, right? Yeah. But the way, the only way that we can truly remove all of the needs that we have for computers, for Macs in our lives is if the iPad can understand technology wider. Yeah. Right? And that's what I want to see Apple focus on. Like, if they truly believe that the iPad and the iPad Pro is a desktop replacement, like it is the thing that will replace PCs, it is the thing that will replace Macs, which I, I do believe that they believe this. Um, or at least I believe that Tim Cook wants this, right? So this is why they're pushing for it. Um, I would like to see 
I would like to see a world that my people people I don't like it when I say this. Me and Jason were talking about as an upgrade. I I want to see USB C or Thunderbolt three on an iPad Pro. Yeah, I feel like so much of that falls under two aspects of iOS, which is file management yep. and the audio framework. Yep. Because a lot of the things that when we talk about you know understanding technology wider, a lot of that is external drives for managing documents and archiving files or audio interfaces, whether you know it's a microphone or you know it's probably like a USB audio interface. Uh, uh, fixing file management and the audio, uh, you know, the way that iOS manages audio streams and connections to audio hardware, that's a, on the top of my list. Um, I guess that maybe Apple wants you to buy a bunch of dongles. Um, I also think it would be better to have multiple connections going on at the same time. I know that it kind of chips away at the, uh, the idea of an iPad is just a piece of glass, just one button, uh, that goes home and just one connection, which is lightning. That there's a beauty, there's a, some kind of elegance about that because it's like the iPhone. But maybe it doesn't have to be like the iPhone. They've broken the seal now, anyway. The smart connector broke the seal. Exactly. There's already a smart connector. So once you, you know, once you've done that, and Apple seems to be kind of eager to uh, support USB-C because it's also, you know, all things aside, with the confusion uh, with Thunderbolt two and three. It is a beautiful standard. It's just one reversible plug. It's small, and it's going to be the future of USB. And I think that would be a fair compromise to have Lightning and USB-C on the iPad Pro because you can sell the idea of the future so much. Everything is going to be wireless. Everything is going to be, you know, this beautiful wire-free communication. But it's always going to be the future. It's always going to be that way. But right now, there's people who need to connect things to get work done and most of those of those things tend to be file management audio interfaces you could say displays maybe um i don't want to see i don't want to see wacom tablets or things like that because i don't see you know the cursor support happening on ios but just one usb-c connector and then let me buy a hub let me buy a dongle whatever i feel like a lot more people would be optimistic about the iPad as a platform, if only it had that connector. And, you know, um, there's some people are going to say Apple is never going to do that. Uh, but I feel like we're past the point where we can argue what, what Apple is never going to do. They made a stylus. They made a stylus. They put a connector on the back of the iPad. They made a keyboard that is also a case. They, they they're... Uh, this idealistic view of Apple as against cables, against external inputs, that is not true anymore. That is the idea of Apple five, six years ago. Uh, I think from a very practical point of view, just having Lightning and USB-C uh, would, would go a long way to just free people from the, the idea in the back of the, of the mind that they're always going to need a Mac because the iPad, some things cannot do. Um, so we'll see. I hope for it. I, I really do. Like I, I want to see this platform continue. Like there is a lot of talk right now about the Surface Studio and about Apple's um, Apple turning its back on creatives, right? In, in the mm -hmm. wake of Microsoft creating something like the Surface Studio, 
the 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 key the the Apple's thing that they have the jewel in their crown is iOS is the iPad that is what they can push in the creative market if they really want to go that way and I think that the iPad can be really well suited for that like you mentioned uh, Wacom tablets you don't need them because you can do it directly on the screen with the Apple yeah. Pencil right like the the iPad the type of work that can be done on the iPad is is quite frequently creative work. Right, it is, it is stuff that does not require um, really strong processing power. Right, it is writing, it is painting, it is design, it is layout, it is all that kind of stuff that will allow you to kind of really open the door to allowing creative people in. And and I really hope that Apple continue to think about what they can do to iOS and the iPad and the iPad Pro as a way to open up to that market a little bit more. Um, I think that maybe it is interesting to consider that in, instead of Apple taking its foot on the gas for the Pro market on Macs or the creative market on Macs, that they're actually putting the gas back on with the iPad and they see that as their route. And, uh, and you know, me and Federico hope that Apple also see that as like the future of their computing platforms um, as they continue to make the iPad a better and better machine. So we'll see. I mean, it's something we can continue to hope for. And, and I'm eagerly awaiting March to see exactly what it is that Apple is looking to do. Um, and, and I really hope to see, you know, not only what the, these rumors that we've spoken about for the last couple of weeks about a refresh to the line, but also to see what they're willing to do to the iPad Pro to make it an even more pro device. This week's episode is brought to you by Smile. And today I want to talk a little bit about PDF Pen Pro Eight, the giant Swiss army knife for PDFs. Imagine a Swiss army knife that has so many tools it would need a separate carrying case and maybe a small wheelbarrow to take it around with you. That's what PDF Pen Pro is, but luckily it's software so you don't see how big it actually is. PDF Pen Pro can add signatures, edit text and images, perform OCR on scanned documents, export in Microsoft Word format and so much more. I would run out of breath before I could finish talking about all the incredible features that PDF PDF Pen Pro has within it. Only PDF Pen Pro can create an interactive PDF form, build a table of contents, set document permissions, and convert websites to multi-page PDFs for saving offline for later. PDF Pen Pro 8 can now even create portfolio documents to combine related files into a single PDF and it can attach files to your PDFs as well, which is kind of incredible. I am such a devout user of this application. Like I use it so often just to do simple things like signing documents, right? Like that's something that I do constantly. But I do it with ease with PDF Pen Pro. I use PDF Pen Pro on my Mac. I use PDF Pen on my iOS devices. It really is a way that just allows me to get my work done. I'm dealing with contracts and signing contracts constantly. People send me contracts that are actually Microsoft Word documents and ask me to sign them. Like that's the thing that's possible. But I can open them in PDF Pen Pro and it's dealt with. And then I can export it back out into Microsoft Word so I can send it back to them. And it's all the changes are kept in place. It is a, just an absolutely fantastic application. And you can get 20% off new PDF Pen Pro 8 purchases in the month of November by visiting smilesoftware.com slash connected. They do not discount their products very often at Smile. 
This is a 20% discount that you can get a PDF Pen Pro 8, which is amazing. If you've not checked out PDF Pen Pro yet, now is the time you get 20% off by going to smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. So Federico, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, I sent you a message and I said, Federico, mm-hmm. I need a, a, a good markdown text editor. And we spoke about this on the show that I ended up going with Bear and Bear is what I'm using. But now you're going to tell me about another one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. That's my <laughs> first comment. But there's an update for, you know, IA Writer, you know, from the company Information Architects, I think it's the full yeah, name. Yeah, it is. A, IA Writer is, a, is an app that's been around for a while. It's, it's done some for, weird things in the past. Yes. When it yeah, split up yeah. into like, what was it, like 17 different applications it became? No, then it brought it just, <laughs> yeah, it used to be two apps. It was used to be a pro version. Eventually, they kind of went back and did uh, just IA Writer. Um, and it, they've done some things with the developer community. I think that didn't put them in a, in a you know, under a good spotlight at all. Oh, yeah, what but, was that? They, they tried uh, to paint some words or something? Yeah, they? no, they tried to, to file a pen for uh, one of the features of the app, I think, uh, either focus mode or, or um, how you can highlight different parts of speech. Like oh, like adjectives. the syntax highlighting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a truly bad move. Uh, but I can tell how it, nice you are. You know how nice you are. I'm goading you into talking about these things. You don't want to talk about them, but I'm making you do it. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, uh, I feel like they made a truly bad decision with, with that stuff. Yeah. Um, something I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done, uh, especially because, you know, the iOS in the developer community is very, you know, anti-litigious. But, yeah. uh, exactly, and you know, it, it used to be the time when that troll uh, was threatening to sue developers, and then another developer was also asking for credit. You know, it was messy and uh, something I would I, I would not have done. But it's been a few years, and I and it is my job to judge apps on the technical level, on the yeah. functional level. So this update to IA Writer version four came out, and I got a beta. I've been playing around with the beta. And there's uh, some aspects that truly intrigue me. And and I feel like the app itself, uh, if you forget about, you know, the, the backstory, which most people don't care about, you know. No, it's, nobody. it's mostly forgotten now. It's dealt with. They they, they took the right thing. They, they went yeah. back on it. And... Yeah, exactly. Backtracked on it. And um, only looking at the app, there's a lot of things to like. And... There's a, a lot of features that could make this app one of the best markdown text editors on iOS. And, you know, I, I think because of what happened a few years ago, I don't see this app mentioned on a lot of blogs, at least the people that I follow on Twitter and RSS. Um, but it is an app full of interesting details. So the big news in version 4 is that you can add content blocks so this is called in computing transclusions. Uh, uh we're going deep now. With transclusion, you can no, it's very simple. You can reference a file um, and include the that file in the output of another. So in IA Writer, it means you can create a text file, reference by name another text file, actually a bunch of text files, a bunch of images. Then when you compile, let's say you compile the master file, you're gonna have the contents of all the references inside the 
body of the main file. In practical terms, this means I could have a master table of contents file when I insert a bunch of references to introduction.txt and you know section1.txt. And when I export this file, the contents, the plain text, the markdown of those files will be included. And when you apply this transclusion to the fact that IA Writer can include text files, uh, images, and even CSV files, spreadsheets, which are automatically converted to multi-markdown tables. That's amazing. And the idea is we can let you produce these long manuscripts, you know, documents that take files and references from a bunch of different places in your local directory. Um, so you don't have to have, you don't need to have this long document that's like 20,000 words. You can just include references. Could be quotes, could be sections, could be images, could be tables. And I, and I think that's a very clever idea. They're publishing, uh, you know, in a very stark difference from the past, they're publishing, you know, the spec that they used for on GitHub for other developers to adopt. And I, I saw some back and forth on Twitter with John Gruber. And John said, this is exactly why I didn't want to have a very precise and updated spec for Markdown. Because it means people can, you know, jump in, make modifications, suggest them. And by leaving Markdown, the basic idea, so pure, so simple, others can extend it in a way that I don't want to do. And I think that's very clever. And I think content blocks based on transclusion is one of those ideas. Uh, it builds upon Markdown in a way that makes sense to me because the syntax to include these references is super simple. You just need to type a forward slash followed by the file name. All right. I have a few things. I'm a, I'm a little bit confused about this, okay? So okay. I'm going to need your help. So sure. why do you want to do this? I'm thinking when I'm working on reviews or other types of documents, long documents, mm -hmm. instead of I can break, break it up in different files, kind of like I did with Scrivener uh, this past summer for my iOS 10 review. It was broken up in a bunch of multiple documents instead of being in one single document that is too long to scroll or you know when you want to do find and replace, you're going to have too many results. So it's more convenient when, you do a, when you're working on a long document, it's more convenient to break it up. And I can reference files to include them in the final output with just a line, with just the file name. And especially for multi-markdown tables, being able to work in Excel or numbers, which are fantastic for, you know, spreadsheets are made for this. I can create a table there instead of having to deal with a messy multi-markdown table syntax. I can create a table in Excel or numbers, and then I can save it in IA Writer and I have a multi-markdown table. I don't have to do any script. How do you I don't do that though? Like if 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 the table's in numbers, how can it be in IA Writer with a with a you piece of text? You import it because IA Writer has excellent support for document pickers. Okay. So you can import the document. And I'm I was curious to check out this feature. So during the weekend I needed to uh, produce some documentation for Mac stories. Um for the way that we do things. I needed to write a tutorial for the people who work for me. And I took a bunch of screenshots and instead of having to upload them, get the link, I put everything in a folder in IA Writer. So you import the images into the application? Yes, in a folder. 
in a subfolder into you know the iCloud container of the app. Created a folder, put a bunch of images, started writing my text file. I referenced the images without having to upload them uh, by using a file name. Then I hit uh, preview markdown. I generated a PDF and I had a PDF documentation file hmm. that I shared with my people. And how do you how do you know the file names though? Like how do you know them to reference them? Do you name them in IA Writer? Y- yes, yes. There's a, a rename feature. Um, and you see there's a keyboard shortcuts. If you're working on the iPad, you can go back and forth between the uh, the sidebar where, where the files are and the text editor and the preview. You can navigate all of it with the keyboard. And I feel like this support for content blocks could be useful for me. But there's also other features that I want to talk about that I think could be useful. So IA Writer, unlike other text editors, is one of the few apps that allow you, this is going to get confusing, so pay attention, Mike. Oh, God. <laughs> One of the few apps that allow you to open a document from other apps using the document picker in open and edit mode. Oh, yeah, no, I understand this because I listen okay, to Canvas. Okay, you get it. Yeah, you can, so let's say that I have, so we use GitHub for Club Mac Stories to organize our text documents that every Friday will become the newsletter. With IA Writer, I can open a file from a GitHub repository. Uh, I can make edits. I don't have to create a copy. I don't have to create a duplicate. It makes changes directly into the working copy. This is the name of the app that we use. It's a GitHub client. It makes changes directly into the version of the file that is originally stored into working copy. And that is amazing uh, because it means I can leverage all of the other mark- markdown features of the app instead of having to use the, you know, working copy doesn't have a real text editor or having to use Textastic, which is a code editor, which is not really meant for markdown. Yeah, that, that, but in most of these applications that use document pickers, they create a copy, don't they? And yes. Then you, then you work yes. on a new fresh version, which you can then save back in, which is better but than it was before, but still not where we'd like it to be. Yeah, but exactly. This is interesting. So you, you could, could you take a markdown document from Dropbox and you could just open it and edit it and save it. That's the thing. It, I think it depends on whether uh, the document, document provider, provider supports, supports yeah. yeah. So Dropbox, I don't think it does. Working copy, it does. And it's an excellent Drive app. does as well, right? I think I Drive does. I think it does. I'm not super sure. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, there's open and edit mode. There's also iCloud versions. So um, to, to, to use these uh, content block features that I told you about, you need to use iCloud. Uh, because uh, I think Dropbox SDK has some limitations for developers and they cannot, you know, even Ulysses, we saw some features are exclusive to iCloud. And in IA Writer, you need to use iCloud for content blocks. iCloud's getting a lot better at this stuff now. It is getting be better. It is getting better. And uh, with IA Writer, you can actually browse and revert to an older version uh, of a document in iCloud, which is very nice. Are you using iCloud Sync with Ulysses now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've always been. I've always been using iCloud with Ulysses, so okay. it's been working fine for me. Uh, but uh, the big difference between uh, Ulysses and IA Writer is that you see real markdown in IA. You see the syntax in line. And there's, uh, I mean, we what I mentioned, the syntax highlight, it's very useful, especially for, for someone like me, um, where English is not my native language. 
if I make the common mistake of using too many adjectives or too many adverbs, I can just highlight those in the document and I will see those parts of speech in a different color, which is useful if I want to, you know, avoid repetitions or maybe, you know, cut on the adverbs that I use. Don't listen to them, man. They're just trying to tame your passion. No, you know, sometimes, you know, I get a little <laughs> too deep into those words. Um, so there's a lot of things to like about IA Writer. And I think it's important for me to consider, you know, what I need. The big downside of IA is that it lacks the automation features of Ulysses. It doesn't have an extensive URL scheme. Mm. And I think you saw what I do uh, for the club. I've seen some truly horrific things. They're not horrific, they're beautiful. I mean, horrific in a, you won't <laughs> believe you've seen such a thing. Oh, it's, yeah. it's beauty uh, that one cannot perceive. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm thinking whether, you know, w- what I do with Ulysses uh, I have workflow basically generate a template of sections for me. Uh, it does some regular expressions, a bunch of things. It reformats text and it puts it into a document in Ulysses because there's a URL scheme that lets me do that automation. In IA, there's not that kind of automation support. But I could just, you know, what workflow does, instead of sending it to Ulysses, I could just copy to the clipboard, open IA and paste. The result will be the same. And I'm thinking, you know, f- with this content block stuff, with iCloud versions, with the open, with the uh, um, document picker, open and edit mode, um, with the parts of speech highlights, this is a great writing environment. It seems like it's kind of like a love child of Ulysses and Scrivener. Yes, that's a good way to put it. It's the best things of, of those two apps rolled into one that actually shows you markdown in line and it can also i gotta mention it exports in a lot of different formats ia writer i mean uh there's a lot of power user little features that are too many to mention like there's a customizable keyboard row you can generate html for text selections there's a bunch of keyboard shortcuts it's very, really well done uh, it's a shame that it's not mentioned too often, I think, between, you know, iOS, quote-unquote, power users. Well, I think it kind of fell behind a little bit, you know? Maybe. It's been, it's been, it's been a good app for, for almost a year now, I think, since version 3 came out. I'm not sure when that was. Well, I, I just mean, like, in... Okay, it's falling behind is probably the wrong way to, to say it. They, just, they, they haven't had a big release in a while. You know, yeah, like, Ulysses and Scrivener have come... They're new. They've come to the fore, right? Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, um, I feel like, as I told you, for the iPad, it's important for me to keep trying apps, to keep trying to optimize and to understand what I can save more time. And also, I, I need to have a writing environment that helps me write more and write better. And I like these features. And I know that there's going to be people who tell me also oh, now you're using this different app um so there's a couple of points that i want to make there um the automations that i use with workflow the beautiful aspect of those is that I, no matter the text editor that i use those automations stay the same um i can pub- publish to mac stories from both apple notes or uh, scrivener even <laughs> ulysses ia writer Why it doesn't is matter that, because I made a workflow that makes sure that as long as I share 
markdown text, the end result is always going to be the same. Right, so the input is just markdown. So like you can trigger it from, from wherever, basically, yes. as long as the text is yes. selected. This gives me the freedom of trying a bunch of different apps, see what works better, mm-hmm. and have a consistent result in the end. So even if I switch between apps, I'm not switching between locked-in proprietary sandboxes. I guess the only problem now, though, is that because the file system is iCloud, it's harder to move, I assume, than it was when it was Dropbox? Every time I have a draft for something important, I make a habit of making two copies. Uh, I have a workflow that saves my document both to Dropbox and to GitHub. Um, I make two copies, and every time I publish, in case I forget, you know, because you're going to have people who tell me, yeah, but what if you forget to export the document? I don't forget when I'm working on an important, you know, review. But in case I forget, you know, maybe I'm working on a linked post for Mac Storage, something that is not super important, right? Every time I publish, the same publishing workflow also saves a copy to my Dropbox. So besides the copy in the local file system of AI Writer, and besides the published version of Mac Stories, I also have a text version, a TXT file in my Dropbox. So, you know, I guess I rely on workflow to keep things consistent, but I have the freedom of switching between different apps and see which writing environment is the best. And I think it's a good system, honestly. So you're, are you currently planning on using IA Writer over you? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's great that I that I can have this experiment, right? I think yeah. it's nice that I can, especially because a lot of my work stuff lately, and I mean in the past year, happens on web services like Trello and Todoist or Zapier. As long as my main data is in the cloud, the client side can be flexible. So as long as I have my Club Mac stories reader questions in Trello, I can use Workflow to bring those questions into a bunch of different apps. So yes, I'm going to, I'm going to test IA Writer, but um, what I want to stress is I'm not going to test it. It's not a losing game for me. It's not that I'm making compromises because as long as I have my workflow automation and my data in the cloud with web services, I can switch between different clients and the result is always going to be the same. He's so optimized. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Uh, I don't have time, you know, to uh, to switch between different apps and every time I got to do, you know, the mm-hmm. documents are not going to be the same. And as long as an app, my, my, my utmost essential aspects are needs to support Markdown and it needs to have a share sheet. And once those two conditions are met, I can do anything. Uh, I guess you could say that if work, workflow goes away, I'm screwed. Maybe? I didn't want to say it, but I was <laughs> um, thinking it. <laughs> but let's just hope it won't go away. So. <laughs> I think me and you had this conversation before that like, you would just have to buy it, right? Yeah, like, I think so. Mac Stories would just have to acquire workflow just to keep it alive. I'm I'm not even joking when I say I gotta consider something like that. Uh, you know, it used to be editorial and Pythonista, 
And workflow came around just when, you know, the development on those apps kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. So I moved from one to another. But at this point, I'm way deeper into workflow than I used to be with Editorial and Pythonista. So if there's any problems, uh, we will have to think of a plan. We'll have to here. have a conversation. We gotta have a we gotta have a talk. We gotta sit down and have a yeah. talk about you know what we're gonna do. Uh, you gotta make them an offer they can't refuse, Federico. I'm not sure I'm I'm in the position to do that, but you know, <laughs> we have a bunch of money lying around in my savings account. You gotta start a war chest now, just in case. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the best ways to help Federico amass the amount of money that he's going to need uh, to buy workflow one day is to support our sponsors, the great folks over at Smile, <laughs> Mac wow. Weldon, and Hover. Do you like that? I'm all about tying things in today. I don't know if you've noticed. No, no, it was great job, Mike. Thank I you so much. You. Thank you. And, th- and thank you, as always, Federico, for, for joining me today. You can find Federico online at macstories.net. You can find him on uh, the Twitter. He is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You should also check Federico out on his other Relay FM shows, uh, Remaster and Canvas. Um, if you want to find me online, I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, Federico. And you, I've already spoken about you. I'm now going to move to Stephen. Stephen is online. He's at 512pixels.net. Uh, he's somewhere in the internet right now. Maybe or maybe not. I think he's uh, he's he's trying to put out the ISP fire, which has found its way into level four of the museum. So he's trying to deal with that right now. It's a it's a whole it's a whole big mess. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. <laughs>